Welcome to episode number three of North of the Shire, and I think I should probably say take two of episode three. Yep. And I'm here with Drew once again. How are you doing? I am doing well. It feels a little deja vu to be here for episode three, but you know. I know, yeah, yeah. <sighs> we, got, we already screwed up on our release schedule. I think we're probably running a week late on this simply because we had to like pretty much re-record this entire episode. No, I think if we re release it this Sunday, we're good still. Oh, are we? Okay, yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. that's good then. Um, I, th I thought we were going to be behind because, yeah, we recorded most of this episode some weeks ago, and um, in the editing process, it was pretty much a write-off because, like, your track was fine, but my track was, like, a disaster because I tried recording somewhere else, and <laughs> it just didn't go well. But enough about that anyway. Yeah, let's move on. Technical glitches <laughs> and things you've yeah. learned. Places you know not to record into anymore. Oh yeah, it did. It did actually inspire me to go and buy another piece of equipment. So I have one of these funky arms now holding on to my microphone. So uh, you're lucky. I have one sitting in a box by my desk, but I just haven't been able to put it together. Right on. Uh, so anything been going on hobby wise? Um, I know you've been busy with your work and uh, month end and all that kind of crazy accountant. Oh stuff, my god! I'm glad you preface that by saying hobby wise because it's not <laughs> a whole lot. Uh, I would say I've been working on my test scheme for my Rangers of Athelion list. Um, yes, I'm going to be building a Rangers of Athelion army. I've got every single model I need. Um, you mean your colors or like the painting? Scheme yeah, the test color use, scheme. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So trying to I was toss your own ideas and making it like bright and vibrant but i'm like hold on middle earth is not bright and vibrant this is an age of sigmar uh so i've had to tone it down a little yeah yeah it's all it's all browns and greens man it's all right all browns and greens agrax <laughs> earth shade and scab red red and all that stuff how about yourself Hobby, uh, i've been yeah crazy busy with with hobby stuff just like mental busy with <laughs> with everything going on it's just i've never been so busy in the hobby um for for i don't know since when but um i guess that's sort of the fringe benefits of um what we've been going through um mm -hmm. no gaming to speak of i still haven't played a face-to-face -face game with anybody since all of this started in march i know um which really stinks but uh on the hobby side it's just been an explosion of of activity uh, we mentioned in the last episode we we're running in the OSBGL where mm -hmm. we both play and participate. Um, we we're running monthly hobby contests and we ran a painting contest last month. Mm -hmm. So so that wrapped up just uh, what a week or two ago. Yeah, about um, that. Yeah, so that was amazing. We we ended up having near on thirty entry entries i would say quite impressive yeah yeah it was great and we had divided it up into two groups like our paid members mm -hmm. and everybody else and they were about equally represented yes so yeah. we ended up um, sort of picking a first second and third out of all of those so uh just pulling up the we we put up a new banner on the osbgl facebook site the ontario strategy battle game mm -hmm. um facebook group so if you want to go there you'll be able to see on our banner the winners but um it's mike shock alistair van duzer patrick miller were our uh, osbgl members mm -hmm. that one and the non-members paul chartrand sean michael and chris noakes mm, uh so right. you go there and you'll see all of the pictures of their models 
which are all amazing. Oh my God, yes. As I'm watching all these entries come in, all I can think to myself is, I wish I was painting a model right now. <laughs> <laughs> the su most surprising thing to me in doing this, like a 100% virtual painting contest, and we did say, you know, you're allowed to put three pictures of your model, but mm -hmm. I never really realized until we were actually doing the judging how important the photography was. Oh my God, yes. Um, because it certainly did elevate some people and some people really suffered because of the photography. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of um, an unexpected sort of twist uh, that we encountered countered while while doing the judging for me anyway no definitely for me i mean i mean i've seen some people their photos were the really sort of amped up uh, a model that was probably if you're looking at it face to face may not be so good and other times you see a photo of a model that's doesn't do it justice you know yeah yeah yeah, I think the most common, like I'm no photographer, but like I know overexposure when I see it. And like that, that, that was the, <laughs> the yeah. most common culprit, like people just blasting some like bright light on their miniature and then <laughs> taking a picture of it. It's like, oh God, it didn't work out well. Where the, where's the highlights and the shades? It's all just one color. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so there might've been some people in there that could have uh, finished higher and mm -hmm. uh, maybe suffered from the photography or vice yeah. versa yeah no and we also gave out some prizes for that too did we not we did yes we we're giving out uh well everybody got their name and picture of their model on our our group's banner and then mm -hmm. we have uh some trophies for the uh winners on the member side which i still have not sent out and thank you for reminding me <laughs> not a problem i'm not putting you on the spot i didn't realize it had been not been sent out <laughs> No, I have to make up like the little nameplate to stick on the front of it. And I keep forgetting to do that because I got to do that at work. Oh, oh, dang. We classy over here. Okay. <laughs> Canadian Shire for the win. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then now this month, we're um, Father Justin's running another contest, a different contest. Mm -hmm. And this one's on building a display board. And I think the only sort of condition is it has to be a minimum of 12 inches by 12 inches. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, so I'd love to participate in that. I just don't have the time, unfortunately. I'm gonna make an attempt, but I can tell I'm like it's already two weeks in, and it's like, oh my god, I'm running out of time. Are you um, are you gonna take your 25 year old display board and like add an extra tree to it and claim it's brand new? No, <laughs> no, come on, was, that's not in the spirit of the of the contest. How many times? Old, old faithful. Yeah. Old, old faithful. Old faithful. I kid yeah. you not. That display board is old as my gaming experience in total. Yeah. I, I don't remember how old it is exactly, but it's, it's at least 20 years old, I would say. And like I, I, it used to be bigger and it was my 40 K it was mm -hmm. my 40k uh, board and when we started like playing middle earth in earnest and i knew i probably wasn't going to be playing 40k anymore i'm like you know what this is just too big for a middle earth army yep. so I, I so i got out the saw and uh trimmed her down and and, <laughs> and then you know reframed it up and everything and uh mm -hmm. yeah that that thing has served me well for many a year considering you probably spent maybe like 60 bucks in total in materials on that oh yeah it served you oh, very well that. no not even near near that i'm trying to be generous here but no i mean like <laughs> almost all the rubble on that is just like cut up sprue 
It is, yeah. yeah it That's is. what you do with your sprues, man. <laughs> Chop them up, put them in a little, little empty jar, and you use them for rubble. <laughs> Reuse, recycle. That is true. Come on, come on. I mean, I, I take the other approach. I just use plaster... Um, uh, some of the off off cast from my plaster, and then I stick it in a jar and shake as much as I can, and it just breaks it down into different sizes. Fair rubble. enough. I I just can't stand throwing all the empty sprues in the garbage. I I just can't stand it. So I try I try to take as many of the straight pieces off there as I can, and mm-hmm. I just use my clippers and clip them into like you know half centimeter lengths, and before you know it, I have a thousand of them, and there you go, all the rubble you could ever want. That's true. You know the funny thing is I, I like throwing them out. Only because that that sort of signals to me I'm building something, which is so infrequent. <laughs> so that's it. That's that's what you've been doing is working on your rangers. Yeah, working painted on the test like, color scheme, and I've got all the, the new painted rangers. Up one, painted up one model and didn't even get them finished. Oh God, no! I'm not even close to being done with him. Still tinkering <laughs> oh with God. the scheme, uh, but I do have 20 models uh, assembled. 24 models assembled and primed. I say assembled because there's actually no assembly required. You just glue them to the base. Yeah, there's, a, there, yeah, there's no part. They're, they're all one-piece model. That's true. Uh, but I've also got the two new characters from the Forge World and uh, another box okay. of the Rangers, yeah. Right on. My, yeah. Two, my two new characters have been assembled and primed for a while. See, Haven't got know. around to painting them, though. Mine are um, still sitting in the box. Before we move on to something else, I, I yeah. will just want to talk briefly about another thing that I've been participating in for the last two weeks. And that is like I, I discovered another group out west, and it's mm-hmm. called the Shire of Victoria. Ooh. They have a Facebook group. I'm not sure how old this group is, mm-hmm. um, but they had like a really cool sounding event going on for for October, and it's called Orktober. Ooh, okay, and yeah. uh, the whole idea is you they divided people who wanted to participate into two teams, either Mordor or Isengard, mm-hmm. or October, get it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, of course, I went with Isengard. Of course. And, and then every week they, they have like sort of some standing challenges and they'll throw in like a a surprise challenge for the week if you can get it done Mm -hmm. and you know so like you get points for painting a miniature or you get points for painting and converting another miniature Mm -hmm. uh playing a like a battle company mission uh building a terrain piece playing a regular SBG mission that they assign. Yeah. Um, it's been really fun. So like I've jumped right into that. And of course the deadline for having everything done is Wednesday, which is today. So I have until midnight <laughs> to finish doing a bunch of things oh, gosh. Uh, and, and submit them to get points for team Isengard. Team but Isengard. That, that's been, that's been fun. And what a great idea. What a great idea. I've been really enjoying that. So yeah, hats off to, uh, to those guys. I think it's Simon. And and Mark, I think, are the guys that run it. Okay, cool. Yeah, and you yeah. know, there's this other thing that came out. We're a little late to the party, and it's this thing I think it's called the Quest for the Ring Bearer. I think that that book never came. heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah, and neither, neither have I. <laughs> uh, other in so much that it's a brand new supplement book that came out. It's yeah, got a whole oh bunch my of God, stuff. Oh my God, I can't believe all of the. Uh, the stuff going on on the social media is about this book. It's like, there's just, there's so many channels and podcasts now all of a sudden and there, everybody is covering it. It seems like it's just been a lot of information on it. eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a little bit of covering on it right now. Uh, 
in so much that uh, we think we, we've picked one item because, again, to, to your point, uh, everyone else is doing it. So we don't need to sort of copy what everyone else is doing. Uh, but we do want to talk about one item each, you know, whether it be an army list or a legendary legion or a model or a, a mission or whatever it may be, and just have mm-hmm. a quick uh, a quick sort of discussion on the excitement of this new thing that's come out. All right. All right. You go first. Oh, yeah, you put me on the spot. Well, for <laughs> me, it has to be something competitive because, you know, I'm a competitive person. And I, ha- I want to say... The, the Depths of Moria Legendary Legion. That has got to be the, the one I'm, I was looking forward to. Um, people sort of spoiled um, spoiled the, uh, the, the, the information on the interwebs. And when I got the book and I got a chance to read it through, all I can say is I am super duper excited to, to try this list out when we're able to play again. Mostly because A, I have all the models, which is pretty awesome when you don't have to buy anything new. And B, I love the Balrog. And when you amp up the Balrog with even more special rules, you can't go wrong with that. I mean... Yeah, I love the rule. Um, I have the book in my hand right now. I won't be able to find the rule. But basically, it's the rule now, which is similar to Sauron, or Sauron where you have to... Um, you actually have to wound the Balrog um, in order to... In order to what? In order to make the army break, or yeah. So if you, I believe it's if you have to do more than four wounds. I think it's four wounds to the Balrog before the army can be considered broken. Which I, th- which was one of the big complaints I had with running the Balrog in a Moria list. Um, in that, if you're running the list, people will just take the old Sauron approach, which is kill the goblins, which are pretty you know minuscule. And once you've broken the list, people just start running off the table. And more importantly, you trigger the end game condition in a lot of cases. And as long as you're playing the box out game and keeping the Balrog away from your army, uh, you can do a really good job of never having to confront it. So. Well, that, that's what I've done when I've played played that army is just tried to stay away from the Balrog as much as you can. And they did, they they really went a long way in fixing the Balrog's profile in uh, the MESBG edition by mm-hmm. by adding the free heroic combat and like the 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 lash like pulling the guy in and then you can heroic combat off him. But it, it obviously wasn't enough because you know people would still just try to stay away from the Balrog. So now you actually have to get in there and mix it up with the Balrog. There's no two yeah. ways about it. Oh, absolutely. And the, other th- the couple of the things that they've, they've sort of brought into this list that the Moria list uh, was lacking was one, the drums, the drums of Moria. Mm-hmm. And that's instead of it being, uh, what is it, 18 inches, which is already huge to begin with, it's now board wide, which means that you've got a banner reroll board wide, your opponent is negative one to their courage board wide, which is big for breaking. Once you break them, they can run off the table much quicker. And you get plus one to your courage board wide, which can be pretty big, especially if you're not within range of the Balrog. Courage two goblins don't stick around very long, but courage three, courage three is a pretty sweet number because that's the, it is. you get that seven, seven or higher is needed, right? Yeah, well, it's it, like on the, 2d6 roll 
needing a seven is 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 just a such a huge step up on the on the bell curve com, compared to needing uh, an eight. Oh yeah absolutely and the other thing about the banner or the drums i should say is that it counts as a banner for victory point purposes so that right there is monstrous but yeah like i can't see you ever not taking that in in that list now yeah for 75 points it, it more than so makes good. up for itself it's like not taking alerts in isengard list now it's like what yeah pretty much are you crazy yeah or it's like not taking maher in alerts of scouts it's like <laughs> yeah. are you crazy you're losing the best ability of the scouting region uh the other thing i loved about the balrog is one he gives um plus one fight value to all goblins within six inches of him which may not sound like a lot, but when you have a goblin who's five points be fight three, that is yeah, a it's huge. It's huge. It, it, it is. It's one of those little things that's not little at all. It's because the the thing is is that if you're playing against a fight three army, it's terrible if you're fight two. Yeah. <laughs> but but now for free, you you're fight three. So yeah. it's. Yeah. And the other the other thing, uh, which is really cool and very thematic, and I really like it, is the Shadow and Flame special rule, where if he's in Shadow, he's 5 plus to hit, which is big because shooting him to death is even more difficult. And, you know, he can sort of ignite himself a la Human Torch, or a la yeah. that scene where he's trying to get across the bridge. Uh, Gandalf is stopping him to uh, inflict the set ablaze special rule uh, to a model within three inches of him. And that right there is pretty huge because it's a strength 10 hit to the model and the mount. Let's not forget that. And so if you've got a pesky big hero that's charged your lines and you can't get in range of it, you just smack it with a set ablaze. And all of a sudden, you can take out a hero's mount very easily with a strength 10 hit, not to mention doing some reliable damage. And if the hero doesn't want to stop, drop, and roll, uh, they are going to be taking a strength 6 hit every turn, which as a hero who defends 6-7, you don't really want to be doing. Right. So yeah, so that's I'm really excited to try the Depths of Moria Le Legendary Legion. And uh, that's my one thing from the uh, quest for the ring ring bear book that i was really I, excited I recently about. i recently assembled my balrog it's actually sitting on my shelf downstairs not primed or anything so who knows maybe i will uh finish that guy off mm -hmm. uh my turn yeah your turn what is the okay, one I'm, thing you're excited about from quest I, from the ring and bear? i i'm not gonna go with the scouts of isengard or whatever that Lurks one's called or alerts of scouts um, in, in the, the first take of episode three, that's what I talked about, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the Black Riders because it's, um, it's the one that's sort of got me excited right now. Mm -hmm. Although, of course, I went out and bought a box of new Urukai Scouts as well. I'm painting those up right now. You want? Uh, but the, the Black Riders, I think, uh, has sort of captured a lot of interest, as has the Fellowship, because basically they're taking these all-hero lists and throwing enough new rules at them to definitely bring them up um, a couple of tiers in in their competitive worth, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, whereas before, you're just like, yeah, you're playing with you know nine models, you don't stand a chance. Yeah. Um, but not not so much anymore. And you know, Steve, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Steve S. out of London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonderful guy. He, yeah, yeah. So over there, they have a store called the Game Chamber, and and they run regular Lord of the Rings tournaments over there. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't have anywhere near kind of the the cases of COVID that we have over in this part of the province. That's so true. They're still they're still running tournaments, and they just had one. And I was talking to talking to Steve, and he ran this list. It was only three games, and he won all three of his games mm-hmm. um, with this list and he was he was just going on to tell me like how good it was and how like it surprised everybody and like they they have um, they have a couple of new rules well first of all the will of Sauron so oh. they don't lose a point of will now for being in a, a combat so just that rule alone is just huge for for those guys because you know when you used to play against them that's one of the things you did you would just throw one of your numpties into a ring wraith assuming you could pass your terror test and just mm-hmm. suck a point of will out of them even if your guy died it's still worth it yeah right pretty much um so they don't have to worry about that anymore and then they have this terror in the night rule mm-hmm. so it's a they get additional um negative one to the courage value, um, uh, I'm not sure what the distance is. Twelve um, inches. It's your, no, twelve no, it's, inches. It's, it's an add-on to their harbinger of evil. Special. Right, right. So if it's uh, three to six models, I, I believe it's an additional one, and if it's seven to nine, it's negative two. So you could potentially have everybody suffering negative three courage from harbinger of evil, mm-hmm. which all of a sudden means that you know even elves are going to be failing attempts to to charge mm-hmm. um and you're gonna be seeing very few models get through yeah and on top of that they have the screech of the screech of the nazgul mm-hmm. uh once per game cast a channel version of transfix and automatically on a six so so, so there's a couple of cool things so one just to quickly do a little faq to your your statement mm-hmm. there earlier it's one to three it's normal harbinger four to six it's a minus one and then additional minus one and then um seven to nine it's an additional minus two okay you're yeah. right yeah four to six is minus one and, and i also want to sort of zoom in on that uh screech the nazgul that's free as in no might is required and no will is required to cast it yeah, that is insane. That right there shuts down heroes because you automatically get the six and it's a heroically channeled version. It is just well, insane. See, and the thing what Steve was telling me too, and now this makes sense because what he was saying was that he was just killing the enemy heroes with channeled black darts. Like he'd just throw a bunch of dice at a channeled black dart. And of course mm-hmm. you can save your might for the channel black dart because you don't have to use it when you're throwing off the screech of the Nazgul. It's free. Well, that's the thing about the list is it's it's a character assassination list. And then once you've yeah. gotten rid of the characters, most armies' courage values on their, their infantry is pretty terrible on their warriors. And so mm-hmm. they just struggle to charge you. Um, which surprisingly enough, I think a Goblin Town army could do pretty well just because they're normally courage one anyways. Uh, and there's just so many bodies to have to chew through. Yeah. But let's be honest. Well, the, the thing that the thing that they're good at too is, and anyone that has a spear is like, as soon as you get one guy in, you mm-hmm. actually get two because like you get one goblin in, and then someone comes in behind for free mm-hmm. and supports, right? So you get an extra body in there, um, which is good. 
Now, like I've seen, you know, when you look at their spell lists, there's just so much flexibility and so much. Oh, I know that's what choice. I was looking at just this. like instill fear. If you can get the right angles, oh, you can start yeah. pulling away models from a, a, a battle line, and then yeah. having your other ring wraiths charge them individually, and then oh, just start and drain courage them. too. Like drain courage now is just like in that list. Those two spells, instill fear and drain courage, they just like got so good. Like mm -hmm. you, you know, before you were relying on black dart and transfix almost all the time unless you know maybe you'd do a drain courage on a, on a monster or whatever if mm -hmm. you're playing another evil army to keep its courage down but now like i think those two spells are going to be really go-to spells because if if you can if you can drop the courage on on heroes um they're not going to get into combat and the, all they can do is spend their will to resist <laughs> drain mm -hmm. courage right well, <laughs> that is amazing yeah generally speaking um like a, a smart player will just let it happen they'll just let the drain courage go through and knock their courage to the point where it's a one because you can't go below a one right because you're going to spend that will and that might to get that charge off right mm -hmm. but when your opponent counters by saying, oh, you're going to spend your will and might to get a charge off? Cool. My ring wraith sitting in the back here is just going to screech you for that six. Yeah. And you can sit <laughs> there and do nothing, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's like, it, it's a very strong list. And it's going to surprise a lot of people before um, I think the meta realizes if your army doesn't have max shooting, you are going to, you're at the mercy of this list. Yeah, and and this list, I think I think their big weakness is still going to be mission draw, right? Like they're still going to be weak at board control missions, and they're still going to be weak at like you know your reconnoiter and and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, they they're still a very low model count, and it is uh, very um, what do you call it situational in the sense that it the list really loses a lot of steam if you're playing a, a tournament under 700 points because you know kind of your your basic ring wraith i think is 100 points right 282 mm -hmm. with a horse yeah uh, it's 100 points so so that's 600 points for six of those and then you're looking at another 100 points uh, for the witch king minimum right so yeah. if if you're under 700 points then you're probably either going to have really weak ring wraiths or only six and if you only have six then you're never going to get negative three on your courage i think so, i think you're going to run the nine always and you'll just make them weak like like a like a one seven one or a two seven one and that's it and well the beauty about the will of sauron is that you can just keep casting spells until you're at one will and then you just stop yeah. casting spells yeah 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 that's the way it is and, and you can still fight yeah you know even with one will you can still fight and just not cast spells right exactly so so but i i still think 700 is is kind of the you know it needs to be 700 mm -hmm. yeah if you, uh, if you fall below that you're you're losing some steam. I think so. Like I think when you get up to the thousand point or the eight hundred point, you're really going to start seeing that list shine, uh, and in a, yeah. in a pretty crazy way. I think so too. Yeah, which is the reason why I'm staring at a sprue of Riders of Rohan that I'll never play, but I'll happily convert into uh, Nazgul. 
<laughs> I, ha- I, I have the Nazgul right now on my painting, ta- my painting table. <laughs> <laughs> so I will probably be working on that after my Rangers list is done, just because yeah. I see that list in the right hands doing exceptionally well. Yeah, I think it just be, it's going to be like the fellowship now. It, it's it's a list that you can play um, to be thematic and have fun, but now you can also be competitive with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally agree. Yeah. All right. Um, well, is that it for our massive in-depth coverage of Quest of the Ringbearer? I think so. Yeah, it is so in-depth. In fact, everybody now fully understands what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> All right, shall we move on to our uh, part two of our social contract? Sounds good. Here it is. All right, and we're back, and it's seamless, even though it's been like uh, it's a, been week a week or, <laughs> or more. It's been a week. It's such as the power of editing or just pressing the stop and record button. That's right. So, but we're we're back to uh, our social contract, and it's my turn to uh, input a, a point. And I guess this is this is me trying to add like the human side to your social contract. Yes. Um, so, and it's honest mistakes because honest mistakes happen in games, and it doesn't matter what kind of game it is. There's always things that you happen uh, that happen just because you could forget to do something, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like how you handle that between you and your opponent, um, like that's gonna go a long way to setting the tone for the game. And I, I know this a lot in competitive games where um, you know people are really concerned about winning or losing the game and they'll make an honest mistake and, and they'll just continue on with the game. Well, like, I don't do that. Like if. If I make an honest mistake, whether it's a competitive game you're playing on the top table, or whether it's a non-tournament game and it's just casual, like if if my movement phase has ended uh, and I forgot to move a model and it's an honest mistake, I will just ask my opponent, I forgot to move this guy, would you mind if if I were to move this guy? And in that case, is like you have to abide by their decision, but there's no reason why you shouldn't ask. Um, I, I have no problem when my opponent asks if, if they can move a model they forgot. Uh, if it's really important and we've moved on too far, then maybe I'm going to decline, but certainly ask. And the same if, you're, if you've forgotten to shoot a model, which frequently happens in the game. Um, you've gone on to the other player's shooting phase um, and you've realized you for, forgot to fire one of your models. So you just ask your opponent. Um, and, and this kind of thing, I find it... it it really helps set the tone for the game and how you're gonna handle other disputes. And for me, it happens naturally because I forget to do a lot of things in games. Um, but you, you, know, you forget to do things? Yeah, occasionally, it does happen, it does happen. <laughs> but, but honestly, sometimes I'll actually, if I'm in a really competitive game, like if I'm you know, like in one of the last rounds and I'm playing it's a very competitive guy, um, and it's at one of the top tables. Like quite often, like I'll do something like this on purpose just to see how they react. Um, and it's it's a very minor thing, very minor thing. Example, um, hey opponent, I I've forgotten to shoot this orc with his orc bow. 
um, would you mind if I shot? So it's very minor, right? Very low probability of doing anything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, most players will immediately say, yeah, no problem, go ahead. But for those players that are, uh, you know, have a certain attitude about the game, they'll say, no, sorry, it's, we've moved on. And it's like, okay, no problem. I now know where we stand in the game, right? Um, but that, that's why I just wanted to add that about honest mistakes because social contract or no social contract, if you make an honest mistake, Talk to your opponent about it. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, you know, when you're talking about honest mistakes, it also comes down to sort of the intent. It's like you have a model that hasn't moved, hasn't shot. The intent's pretty clear, whether you have to explicitly say it or not. The model is shooting, right? Um, you know, and that's actually something that's come up a couple times when I've played against um, uh, Damien uh, or Tom from the GBHL over in uh, fairly big games at Nova and over at Articon is where we'd be talking about something and, and even they would be like, these are top table players and they would forget to do something and I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And I would say to them, yeah, go ahead, do it. Because obviously the intent was to for you to do it. You just you just forgot. Because let's be honest, when you're playing a really hyper-competitive game, there's a lot of variables at play. So it's not surprising it's not surprising to miss one or miss an action that you should have done and to to win and i'll say this from a top table mindset or for a competitive player mindset to win a game where you caught your opponent doing something and then saying yeah you know what i'm gonna be that guy you know that's you you haven't won the game because you outsmarted your opponent you won the game because you knew your opponent didn't do something and you opted to not let them sort of renege or to fix their mistake. Um, now that, of course, there are limits to that. I'll say that from from my perspective, anyways. And I know from I know from a lot of other um, top table players' perspectives as well. Um, like you can, like if you you know you're in the movement phase and you move a model that's supposed to cast a spell, and you know there's a spell you forget and you're like oh yeah sorry I forgot you mind if I cast the spell later on in the movement phase or even in the shooting phase, uh, more often than not a lot of these really competitive players aren't going to care, but if you're you know if the turn is finished, then the odds are oh, hey, can I go back to the previous turn to shoot a model? It's like the turn's done, you know? It, it's time to move yeah, on. There is a limit. There's definitely a limit, like how far you will allow it. To me, to me, it's like, you know, my turn is over and like my movement is over and your movement has started, i.e. you have moved one or two models and then I realize I forgot, right? Yeah. Which I know like when we play, we do a lot of, um, okay, is that it? Are you sure? Are you done all your moves? Are you sure? Right? Just like when we start a turn, um, we rather than just like roll into the movement or shooting phase, you know, we always ask, do you want to call any heroics? Just because yeah. it's like you don't want anything to be forgotten. So you just ask, mm -hmm. right? It, and it goes a long way to just making sure that kind of stuff 
doesn't get forgotten but certainly yeah there there is a limit and there you know in, in time and certainly other things too like you wouldn't allow someone to go back and change like a spell that was cast to a different spell or something it's right. like well no you made your choice and you cast a spell you use the model you didn't forget mm -hmm. right so anyway no i totally agree with that and there also comes to down to like repetition if you're constantly forgetting things mm -hmm. like the, obviously mistakes happen one-offs here and there but if you're so forgetful that it looks kind of suspicious um, yeah. then you know you're well within your rights as, as, as someone who's playing against this individual to say you know what it's clear the only way you're gonna learn really learn is if I say no and that happens yeah. sometimes. Sure. And sure. so, yeah, sometimes that has to happen. But and we, we talked about new players, too. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of thing with new players, like I'll just ask them every turn. Mm -hmm. It's like you forgot to shoot that guy. Did you want to shoot him or you forgot to move that guy or whatever? Right. Um, you know, that, that that's against newer players. You know, the more advanced they are, the more competitive the game is like that tends to like slide, you know, and mm -hmm. it's kind of becomes more up to them. But. Exactly. Let's, let's move on to the, the next point. Ooh, the most contentious part, I think. And that is, what do you do when someone is not honoring the social contract? Now, I've had mm. this happen a couple times. Uh, again, I will preface this. It is a rarity uh, to come across this. And it does not always happen from a top table competitive person, which surprises even me because I'm like, you don't need to act in a certain way uh, or in this certain way um, because, you know, like this particular game or this particular moment may not be like super intense. And right. so, you know, when this occurs, the contract has been broken. Uh, and this can happen, you know, um, when you, they do something um, like move extra inches and you call them on it and they deny it. Uh, and it starts to look like accidental mistakes are becoming on purpose stuff and they're pushing rulings that you know are incorrect and they're, they're being very resistant. Uh, so, you know, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt always. And so your first goal should be to reestablish that social, con uh, social contract. And, you know, the, this is done by, you know, sort of discussing those expectations again of what both of us are looking to get out of this game. And that's primarily fun. Let's let's be honest. It has to be fun, first and foremost. It is a game. And if you're not enjoying the game, then why are you playing it? Right. And so it's about discussing those expectations and honoring them. Right. So I've heard horror stories of people discussing the expectations and then like the very next moment or the next breath, they just one person won't honor it, and that's a big no-no. And so, so do you find that this, like, when people stop honoring the social contract, do you find this to be a thing that's uh, mostly limited to tournament play, or uh, or to competitive players, or um, or not? I I don't think no. It's definitely not limited to tournament play or to competitive players. I think you have less options available to you during. Uh, when you're, it's tournament play because if it's a pickup game and someone's acting like this then you know what it's not worth your time walk away from the game concede say you know what uh, I'm not really liking where this is going um, this is supposed to be a game and honestly pickup games d don't have that attitude um, 
you know, and for competitive players, I've seen really competitive players have this mindset, and I've seen players who who aren't good but still have this mindset, and it's almost as if they've supplemented skill with this not honoring the social contract to sort of elevate themselves in the standings of an event or a league and that kind of thing, yeah. and it's like, that is not the right way of going about it. No, I would agree with that. And so, to get back to, um, you know, what happens when this occurs and you try to reestablish that social contract and they're not having it, or they mm-hmm. feign sure, whatever, uh, you, know, you know, unfortunately, if you're in a tournament, the gloves come off at this point. Um, because if you continue with this, you honoring the social contract and they're not honoring it, at that point, uh, you're losing your fun for the game at the expense of them gaining that fun. So you're sacrificing your ability to enjoy this game so they can enjoy stomping you into the ground. Well, plus if it's upsetting you, you don't want to sit there and be upset for the remainder of the game. You got to mention it. You have to talk about it. Like it's one of the one of the primary rules when you're dealing with confrontation between two mm-hmm. people or they get upset and you'll be talking to someone afterwards about it and the first thing that they'll ask you if they're a professional is did you tell the person not to do it it's like well no (laughs) yeah exactly right um and let me tell you how many times i've talked to players uh, after their games where that social contract has been broken and they've they've just seethed about this experience and it's like oh this just ruined my whole day and i have to ask as you said did you mm-hmm. confront them and the answer was no i was too afraid to and i'm like well it's the onus is on you to confront those individuals because it's your happiness at stake here like you're yeah, choosing maybe, to sacrifice maybe that. confront isn't the right word because that implies like confrontation um it's more like you did you call them on it like did you tell them that like you don't think this is right or this is upsetting me Mm -hmm. or you keep doing this and i've told you that i don't think it's right or you know whatever yeah no you're right you're right because generally speaking if you're playing a game there's very limited confrontation um you know i I don't think i've ever seen a game of of anything in my life where people have been yelling or screaming at each other it's more of just people pushing the envelope too much and sometimes it's accidental other times it's intended to see if you'll push back yeah so i'm gonna say this it's better to stand up for yourself than to just see about it but during and after the game especially if you are of the mindset where you want to win the game because if you start letting this envelop you from an emotional perspective, um, your m- tactical brain, your logical brain just shuts off. And good yeah. luck trying to turn it back on in a game. Not that easy because quicksand and momentum is very much a real thing in, in top table can play. Um, and it's so important not to fall into that trap. So you know, here's some helpful tips that I have done in those rare moments where this has occurred or those uncommon moments. And the first is you watch your opponent like a hawk on everything. Now, and that means you... So this is not all the time. Yeah, this, so this saying. is when someone's broken the social contract. Um, you, you don't pull this out all the time because you doing no. this 
is you breaking the social contract, right? So you are acknowledging that my opponent has broken the social contract, they're not interested in reestablishing it, therefore there's no point in me continuing with the social contract because they have broken it first. And if I don't do this, I am completely sacrificing my enjoyment of this game or some modicum of enjoyment and I will just make myself feel worse. I have to accept that this game is a loss from an enjoyment perspective, and this is about sort of damage control and mitigating any future right. sense of sadness. So what you wanna do here is you wanna watch them like a hawk on everything. So when they start moving their models, you watch to see even if they move out half an inch more or a mistake, you pull your tape measure or measuring aid out and you start measuring things. You get in, you politely and firmly get in their face. You know, after they've moved their models, you measure it and you say, you know, hey, if you see even the smallest of inconsistency, you say, hey, um, you moved your model too far, just giving you a heads up. Uh, can you move it back a little bit? Um, and you do it repeatedly if you start seeing um, overmeasuring is a trend with this individual. And furthermore, um, you start calling them on any sort of rulings that you feel are even remotely suspicious of being wrong. Now, I'm not talking about basic stuff like allocating one model to shoot out another, but I am talking about stuff like, oh, they say model A is gonna shoot your model B. Well, you get down on the tabletop and you see, do you have line of sight to shoot my model B? And then you start you know, questioning on it and you start looking for those in the ways or, um, if they pick um, a ruling for something like, let's say, casting the spell transfix, and they're like, oh yeah, transfix is this range and this and that, uh, and you may be unfamiliar with that particular spell, I don't think anyone is, but you might be unfamiliar with it, uh, then you ask them to sort of, hey, can you walk me through that spell? And, and the point really here isn't to slow play. I'm gonna say that right now. If you're picking on stuff that you already know the answers to, you are intentionally slow playing, and that is absolutely contrary to this purpose. And it's not rules lawyering either, right? No, because what you're talking about is consistent, um, what do you call it? Somebody consistently um, making like infringements, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't just let it happen. You gotta like, continually call them on it basically right exactly so they are they're pushing the envelope in a direction that you're unfamiliar with or that you feel is incorrect so you immediately call them on it um, because the goal here is to be firm and emotionless as you play clinical even it's not about being a jerk okay so this is about saying hey I don't think that's correct can you please show me the rules or this is where you got to get a hold of your zen, right? This you got to you got you got to be calm and, you know, even if you're playing somebody you feel is really pushing the boundaries and they're not willing to listen to reason, you, you can't get upset about it. Like you you just got to keep your keep your stuff under control and mm -hmm. and remain calm, but at the same time, you know, you got to continue to point out all of these things. Yeah. You cuz the really the goal here is you want to show your opponent that you're watching them like a hawk and that sort of attitude and behavior they had uh, previously is absolutely unacceptable now. And ultimately, your opponent is going to notice your behavioral change, right? Before you were laughing, you're jovial, you're having fun. Now you are totally not and you are almost giving off a, a emotionless to slightly cold aura. Your opponent is going to feel that more often than not. 
And if they start calling you on it, then be firm and say, look, you did this or you're acting in this way, which breaks the social contract. I tried to reestablish it and you didn't sound interested. So at this point, I have to act this way because if I don't, you're going to steal my fun uh, and you're going to suck the fun out of this game totally and suck the fun out of this tournament for me. And I'm not interested in that. So unfortunately, we have to play this type of way. Uh, I'm not slow playing you. I'm just asking more questions, uh, questions that I may have and, and just leave it at that. Uh, a lot of the times that sort of very decisive or even blunt um, recognition um, of the situation and commenting on it will throw your opponent off and hopefully get them to stop being the way they are. And if you start seeing them act more appropriate to what the social contract is, then you start acting towards you know, the, the, the tenants of the social contract. I think it also depends on the type of player you are as well. Mm-hmm. And like whether you're a really competitive player or you're not. And also if you're in a tournament, where that game is positioned in the tournament. Like are you playing on the top table in a later round? To me, this is where we're, you know, this is kind of the, the home base for this type of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, or if you're playing on one of the bottom tables, you know, regardless of the round. Um, like if I'm playing in a bottom table and like my opponent is being like this, yeah, I'm going to call them on stuff. But ultimately, I really, you know, I don't care. I'm there for fun. Um, if they're ruining the fun, that's that's really more what I'm concerned about than mm-hmm. than actually you trying to win the game. There, there's the, I absolutely agree with you. Like there's um, I so many examples of where um, yes, I am a top table player, um, but you know at the same time I've also been on the bottom table. And when you're at the bottom table or near the bottom table, honestly expectations go off. I'm just here to roll some dice and have some fun and finish off the day. There's no way I'm winning the tournament. I'm not going to be an overly um, competitive individual at that point. But I've come across players who even at the bottom table will rules lawyer or push things so excessively that honestly, I wouldn't, I realize they're breaking the social contract. But as you said, Don, where I am within the context of the tournament, I just start laughing because I'm like, this is so silly. You well, know, bottom tables. That's what it's all about. You're laughing. You're rolling dice. You're you're not you're not measuring your opponent's moves and, and calling a judge to come over and look at your game. You're in the bottom tables. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So like, if you're if you're so desperate to be third last and I'll be last, I could care less. Like, knock your socks off. At that yeah. point, it's like, have fun. So really this whole discussion about what to do when someone's not honoring the social contract, use it your best judgment um, and and within the context of where you are in an event. If you're top table, um, absolutely you need to start considering looking at this as an option or at least in in discussing it with your opponent. But if you're at the bottom table, just whatever, let them have it. It's really a waste of your time. All right, we're we're getting close to the end now, and this is where I come in with a couple of points, and I'm surprised you you didn't add these in your initial notes. Well, um, I didn't want to be totally exhaustive. That way, yeah. you have the opportunity to contribute. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So the first one of my points is uh, it's called to concede or not to concede. So whether it's tournament game again or if it's in a pickup game. Um, 
everyone has those games that you just don't feel there is any point in continuing and usually it's because of one of one of two different things um, probably the most common one is you are getting smashed in the game uh, and you know that you have no hope of winning the game so uh, a lot of people will just want to walk away from the game mm -hmm. when, when that happens you see that happen quite often um, the other one which is hopefully less common is that you are so frustrated for whatever reason uh, and unhappy that you just don't want to continue playing and it could be a many different reasons uh, for that um, so that's what we're talking about here so okay if you're in a pickup game mm -hmm. and like let's say the scenario is you're playing a pickup game and your your opponent is just destroying you okay um, at that point in time it's probably worthwhile having a, a quick discussion with with your opponent and ask them if you would mind if you conceded the game because uh, it's virtually over, etc., etc. And a lot of the time, I find uh, it's it's actually valuable to do that for either um, you may have enough time to get in another game, whereas if you played this game out, it, you would both just have to leave or whatever because you're on a time schedule. Uh, or you can say, look, can we end this now and like talk about like what I did wrong or what happened, like or give mm -hmm. me a pointer, like what could I have done differently, maybe, um, so I don't make make the same mistake next time, so you can learn. Um, it's it's so much easier to do that when it's a pickup game, and I think it's it's a lot more appropriate and and easier to concede if it, if it's a pickup game. Yeah, no, I totally, sorry, if you, if you don't mind me interjecting here. Go for it. I totally agree. That would be my number one reason for wanting to concede a pickup game early is so that I can start a new game. Yeah, and like, you know, when we, when we get together for a game, usually it's like, you know, you know exactly how much time you have, so yeah. uh, you can easily measure if you're going to have enough time to get another game or not. And usually I'm smashing you so badly to the point where you want yeah, a second yeah, game. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Um, the other one is is a lot more tricky, and that is if you are in a tournament, okay, and either of these things are happening, okay. If you're if you're so frustrated in the game, um, it probably has a lot to do with the way that your opponent is playing the game. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, maybe it's just because you're getting smashed so badly, uh, you're, you yourself are reacting badly to being beaten so badly. A lot of that kind of stuff can be dealt with using some of the stuff we've already talked about in honoring the social contact tract, like speaking with your opponent, you know, or if it gets desperate, you can always call a judge over. Um, but this happens like on, on a regular occasion. Um, you know, I've seen people. Uh, walk away from games, rage quit games, walk out of tournaments. Uh, you know, I've seen this kind of stuff happen before, and it should never, it should never come to that, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some times when you still want to concede, and unfortunately, in a tournament, it is kind of part of the social contract that you really have to make an effort not to concede. Agreed. Um, and that includes not throwing the game. 
not just continuing to play and throwing all your units into the grinder that is your enemy and letting them max victory points. Like a lot of tournaments will give out max victory points if your opponent concedes or give a huge bonus if your opponent concedes. Um, and it is part of the social contract for you to stay in that game even though you're losing and try your best and it just comes down to a point where what you're doing is you're you're trying to mitigate the loss you're trying to do damage control you're trying to not give away max vps mm -hmm. um we've said already um whether it was in this episode or the previous one that a lot of tournaments are won on a single point yep. well if you walk away from a game and your opponent goes from winning you know a game with five or six victory points to getting like 12 or whatever mm -hmm. like that you're you're handing them like a huge amount of victory points um, and it's really going to elevate their position and you owe it to the other players who are competing for the top spot in the tournament not to do that agreed uh, i have seen events where i have played opponents um, that I shouldn't have played because they scored a max VP because their opponent just immediately conceded and just gave it. And I was like, because that opponent to that particular matchup with me, it didn't fare well and uh, maybe I, I, I lost the game or maybe I didn't. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I shouldn't have had to play that opponent in that game because his previous opponent just gave him the game or I've actually lost tournaments because I had a hard fought 8-2 win and then I find out the other person Ving for vying for first place scored a 12-0 because it was a blowout I and mean, his opponent at 8-0 at his opponent just said whatever you can have the reigning four points and it's yeah. like you just cost me the event because yeah, you didn't you give it your own you just you can't do that like it's it's so unfair like you're you're letting a moment of frustration um affect the other players in the tournament mm -hmm. like i'll say this if you absolutely are so beyond frustrated with your opponent or with the game there's one last recourse before conceding tell your opponent you need 30 seconds walk away from the table take several deep breaths if you got to go to the bathroom go to the bathroom a lot of the time i've seen a lot of players step out to go to the bathroom even at top table games they run to the bathroom to go you know for, for two three minutes yeah uh so just get out and get your headspace cleared being at the table there's no way you're going to clear your head but walking away from the table even for like 20 seconds you just breathe a sigh of relief push out those negative vibes with some deep exhales and yeah. you can get back in it and get yourself refocused yeah and it, it you sometimes you have to do that and like you know we're talking about games here right but um some people aren't good with confrontation mm -hmm. and it, it really really upsets them and even though you're putting in context of playing a game and it's really not all that serious people do get emotional and and some mm -hmm. people some people are not good at handling that and it gets them really wound up mm -hmm. um for a variety of reasons 
so taking taking a 30 second time out or a, a bathroom break it's it's totally fine yeah no totally agree totally fine relax yourselves also you actually develop a very interesting reputation when you're willing to fight it out right to the bitter end maximize those victory points um yeah, my phone just went off maximize those victory points and that's um where you're able to say where your opponents speak of you oh yeah fight playing against this playing against joe schmo um it's going to be a tough uphill battle even to get a single victory point even to get the 12th victory point because they're never going to give it to you and when you have that kind of a reputation it actually gives you um I don't want to say street credit, but it has almost sort of like the beginnings of a psychological impact on your opponent because they know they're always going to have a tough game regardless of how the, the game is swinging left or right. Yeah. Like myself, I always try to hang on until the end regardless of the situation. And I can still remember um, from many years ago in our league, I played a tournament and it was one when we went up to Barry's Bay and I conceded a game there. And it still bothers me today I that know. I conceded that game. And it was one of those games that I was getting hammered so bad. And I forget what it was. There was something else that we could do at that tournament. So I'm like, well, if I concede the game, I can go and do that other thing. And I forget what it was. But I conceded that game. And it still bothers me today that I, that I conceded that Garrett game. Garrett would have won that tournament if you hadn't conceded the game. <laughs> yeah, you see? Well, that's okay then. <laughs> he's won a tournament before. No, yeah, well, that would have been a big tournament <laughs> for him to win. Yeah. Uh, okay, next point. When is casual too casual? Mm. Okay, so we all know that we have different types of players in uh, MESBG. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the competitive players, uh, but there are lots of other kind of people that go to tournaments. Some are painters, people that really mm -hmm. love just painting the models, or that may include um, a building terrain or a really nice display board for their army. Um, and you got a lot of other people that are really just into Lord of the Rings and the theme of, of the game. So, you know, regularly bring a really thematic but not very competitive army list. Mm -hmm. um, or people that just like the social side of the game. It's like they do the hobby, they like playing the game, but, you know, they're there to spend time with their with their friends. Right. So there's all kinds of, 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 of different types of players. Um, but again, it's when is casual too casual, and that's in regard to the way that they play the game mm. um, and in regards to the social contract. Um, so a lot of these players, like they don't bring optimized lists. In fact, it could be quite the opposite. Um, in a tournament, you know, they're bringing the Fellowship or Thorns Company, which don't traditionally do very well nope. um, competitively. Um, and it's because, like, well, they don't care about winning. So they don't care about winning, which is totally fine. Yep. However, you got to remember that still you're playing in a tournament, okay? So even though you have brought, like, a non-competitive list and you're not a competitive player and you're not there to compete, you are still in a tournament, mm -hmm. okay? So it is not cool in fact it is breaking the social contact tract to just basically throw your games away like mm -hmm. i see this happen 
quite a bit where you you get these players um, and they'll play to the end of the game sure they're not going to quit they're not going to concede but they regularly will not try hard and possibly um, throw the game maybe mm-hmm. not maybe saying throw the game is is too strong a way of putting it but um, they'll let their opponent get away with a lot of stuff, or they'll be like, yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead. No, you, you, you just killed those guys. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Don't worry or, about or it. they sort of foresee the outcome, so it's like, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna lose this game anyways, so let's just go through the motions. You know, mm-hmm. I'm here to win the painting award or whatever. Um, it, it, that goes against the social contract. It's kind of like conceding. Yeah. It's like you still have to try. You you still you're in a tournament. You owe it to the other players, not just to let your opponent get max VPs, mm-hmm. um, and and get the twelve O or whatever. Yeah. Um, you you still have to put in effort. You know, it's funny. I, I'd love to comment on this, but I can't conceivably fathom and this is just from my own personal mindset well this is because uh, it's way out of your bailiwick it's it's it, yeah. yeah it's 180 degrees the opposite direction of, of who you are i have tried to take fun lists to like like 80 point events i've tried and just put a smile on my face as i'm losing games i just can't i just can't i know <laughs> i just can't Remember last year when you took the Moria Goblin list with the Balrog oh, and don't. I played against you in the tournament? I was like, oh my god! I I, I recall that game. I yeah. also recall I'm like I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna have fun. Of course, Don's mindset was this is my chance to destroy him, <laughs> and he he did not hold back. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do this, and you're like, no, you can't, or this is gonna happen. I'm like, okay. okay. Uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was nothing like that. It was a simple fact. It was the one time I played with cavalry and they were warg riders, which who knew? I got up against the Moria Goblin. Warg rider is incredible. It, it is. It is incredible. That higher fight, multiple attacks. Oh, you yeah. know what it was? This is what it was. That moment where I had to smile and watch you roll two dice and get a six 16 times in a row and kill <laughs> 16 goblins in a row. Yeah, I hadn't, whatever, I didn't roll whatever. a dice that whole phase. And I'm just like, mm, yep, smile. Smile, Andrew. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you did hang in there until the end. I did. Good I didn't you. concede. You, you, you fought till the end. That's right. And that will right, never well, happen again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is that it? Is that the end of the social contract? That is the end of the social contract. It has been quite some, uh, quite a ways. It has. All right, we are here for another segment of all that is gold does not glitter and last week we asked the listenership what do you think is the most competitive faction in the game assuming no allies Um, so it could be a legendary legion or Mm -hmm. not yeah and did we have any responses we had at least one from emails that we received yes and i had one uh via Facebook Messenger Perfect. from Mike. Would you like to S, would you like to read off Mike S's answer? Who also happened to be the winner of our painting competition. 
And he also won the Canadian Shire last year, I believe. He did, yeah. He did what a guy, eh? He's right, right in there. Is he's he? right all over it. He's all over it. Okay, <laughs> so Mike, uh, I'm going to read his his uh, his note to me verbatim here. Oh, okay. Now you're going to put me in the spot. He says, he's, yeah, I am. Well, why not? He says, for me, the most competitive army is Minas Tirith right now. It's a flexible mm. army with a range of troops that support each other nicely. Available fight for backline for low cost rangers mm-hmm. and some very hard hitting heroes. I also think the available lances uh, for the common cavalry is the boon since it negates the deficit of strength three. Oh, of course. In the army, while a war- rewarding mobility, which is so crucial in this edition, and we've talked about that already, how important mobility is now. It's very true. Um, finally, while it hoards out very well, Minas Tirith also plays Elite very well with the stunning synergy of Boromir and his banner with Knights plus Guard of the Tower, Fight 4, Courage 5, and Defense 7 means this army has the staying power um, to let bolt throwers and mounted units or heroes ply their trade effectively. Well, they wouldn't be fight four if they're in range of Boromir with his banner. They'd be fight five because Fountain Court. He says are... fight five. Oh, I don't, if I said fight four, I made a mistake. You did say fight four, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sorry, my bad. That's my bad. okay. Yeah, he got it right. I got it wrong. Ah, okay, okay. But yeah, totally agree. I do have I I have that army. Uh, I just finished painting up my box of Knights of Minas Tirith. So look out now. I got competitive army that I can bring and play with. Oh, look out now! I'm shaking in my booties. You can see my eyes. <laughs> all I got to all I got to do is paint up my bolt thrower, and we're away to the races. There you go. What's that? But you, what? that is that that is a super competitive army. I mean, you see a lot of it now in the tournament scene. Um, I, I imagine we'll still see it like post COVID, even I though we have, will. we'll probably have a hundred legendary legions, new ones to to field, but we'll still see regular Minas Tirith just because it's so strong. I think you will. I think the, I think the the Aragorn plus bolt throwers plus fountain court guard is going to be a strong list that you'll see repeatedly, um, and I think you'll see some Boromir uh, lists that sort of focus on like a hodgepodge of models your rangers your uh yeah you know and your minister of words well it must be competitive because you run this list so. i do i do run this yeah. list and i think it's yeah. very competitive you know why i don't run this list why is that it's so boring oh my god it oh just bores god. me to death this list i don't know why either I, like it, it's one of the cornerstone armies of the game and the movie and everything but it, like i talked about this before in in a video i did on the ospgl thing it's just i don't know it, these guys are kind of like the ultramarines of of middle earth strategy battle game fair enough and it's just like it's just like uh you know i, I feel know. the exact same way about riders of rohan I just find that list like it's a strong list. Don't get me wrong; it's a very strong list. I just I can't can't get my my, my mind around it. I just find it so boring. <laughs> okay, back to the topic at hand because yes. we're on a strict time limit here. That's right. So you're up now. Who who else did we hear from? Uh, we heard from Richard L from Into the West podcast. Oh yes, yeah, Richard. Yeah, so he he sent us an email. And I'll read the, uh, you know, the, the section, uh, he, he's talking about this question verbatim. And he says, hello, Don and Drew. In my opinion, the answer to this week's question on the best pure faction is Angmar. 
As many weaknesses as this faction has, they're just so good at their niche, and that's why they have dominated the recent top tables at many of the largest tournaments lately. Pre-COVID, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting answer. Um, I don't know. Like, I certainly think they're a strong list at high points level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, to me, that list needs Gulivar in it to be really effective. Yeah. Um, without Gulivar, uh, like, I've run that list a lot, and I'm not a competitive player, so maybe I'm the problem, but um, I've run that list a lot, and, like, I certainly... It, he mentioned it has inherent weaknesses, and it's, it certainly does have inherent weaknesses. Um, I, I think it's really good um, at, at countering like strong hero builds mm-hmm. uh, at certain points levels. Um, so, and it can sort of it can sort of fill the role of like a giant killer list because yeah. it, it can beat some of those hero shock builds uh, where other armies would struggle. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think it's a I think it's a strong list, especially when you're looking at pure faction, because you don't have that opportunity to ally in models that cast Fortify Spirit. And you know, to, to Richard's point, you've got um, a list that its niche, which is magical disability, uh, auras, and a ridiculously powerful monster, um, it does it better than anything in the game. Right, you've got the Witch King uh, and the Barrow Whites, and if you really want to step into it at higher points level, the Shade, uh, all of those provide such sh- synergies to the army, which also give it terror because of its army bonus. And when you're looking at Gulivar, that transfix from the, the Witch King plus Gulivar charging in, it's a dead model, it's a dead hero every time. Yeah. Even an Aragorn yeah. dies immediately to that. You know? Yeah, like Gulivar is like if you can get Gulivar into combat, it's pretty well over. Pretty much, um, because yeah. because the pounce and the ten attacks of strength date from a trap model, and you don't need him to burn his might, uh, because if the Witch King is able to sort of put the pressure on with those spells, which we, with the crown uh, he's able to, mm-hmm. Gulivar just grinds down heroes pretty quickly. Uh, would I would I say it's uh, the best, I would say, in a meta that has a lot of shooting, that list will suffer because Gulivar is only defense five. And if you target down Gulivar and drop yeah. two or three wounds off of him, he really struggles to get those wins. And if you by chance killed Gulivar before the combat even starts, uh, an Angmar list is really having a hard time to pull it back. Yeah, and, and you mentioned something there too. You mentioned shooting, and that's the thing I find with this list. Like I notice when I play it, you're you're so tempted to spend a lot of points uh, on your snazzy like heroes uh, and um, what are they called? The Barrow Whites, yeah, yeah. Barrow Whites, and and all of that kind of stuff. It leaves you a little thin. I find most of the time on just like orcs. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing an army with half decent shooting, they evaporate very quickly, and you find your army is suddenly very small. Now, now um, I will say that this list, the Angmar list, has a very high skill cap. So if you can play the list to an extremely high skill level, i.e. Kylie from the Green Dragon, uh, you're going to have a very easy time uh, beating most lists out there. But getting to that level is not easy, and it's not a forgiving list. 
Yeah, and that that was a really I guess that's really the example kind of in the game right now is Kylie won Articon, what is it called? The International or whatever. Yeah, the Masters with, list. with that yeah, with that uh list last year, two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know if you listened to the Green Dragon episode where they like it was after it happened, they talked about it and and how much she practiced with that list. Like she practiced with the same army pretty well for almost an entire year before the tournament Mm -hmm. so like just that like is a is probably enough to help you win a tournament like you're you're going to be playing a competitive army doesn't matter what it is Mm -hmm. if you practice that much with an army and know it that well you have a really good chance of winning yeah no totally agree good answer i I like that answer Mm because it's it's not an obvious answer but Mm -hmm. so now to ask you what your answer is what do you think is the best pure faction in the game, including Legendary Legions? Well, I'll tell you the army that I always hate seeing across the table from me, mm-hmm. probably the most, because it is so hard to beat, and it's the Corsairs of Umbar. Oh, good choice. Very it good it choice. is such a good army. Um, it, the only thing, like... It's a horde army. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got tons of cheap heroes, uh, which allow that to happen. It's got throwing weapons. It's got a really good army special rule. And it has devastating shooting as well. Yeah. Like The only things it really lacks is, is magic, but honestly, it doesn't need it and mobility and honestly it doesn't need that either because you have so much board control because you're a horde Mm -hmm. like even if you're playing reconnoiter like you don't even really have to worry too much about getting models off the other side of the table you can prevent your opponent from getting any of his models off your table easily easily you can prevent them from getting on your half of the table yep and i would also say throwing weapons yeah throwing weapons is huge huge obscene amount of throwing weapons you have the reavers with the two attacks and the effectively plus one to wound regardless but plus two if you get them on the flank on a trap and if you pay the extra points for an axe on them you're 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 killing defense eight models on fours that's (laughs) yay reavers my favorite model in the whole game yes yeah especially post faq (laughs) god I totally agree. Uh, and if you're able to open up that list to allies, the most obvious ally is Suladan because it gives you a banner and you get some mobility there with the, uh, the Haradrim Raiders or with the Serpent Riders. So, I, I, so, even, so just on a pure faction list, absolutely Corsairs are like really right up at the top and it's not All a fun right. list to play against. No, it's not. So that's two evil armies. Look at, look at evil goal here. Know, right? Me and Richard both come in with evil armies. Now, what about you? Now, I'm going to say, my best faction in the game, now I'm going to throw this out here, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to say no. I don't think so. My caveat is this. At 750 points and less, I would say the best faction in the game is the Rangers of Athelion Legendary Legion. And the reason I say this is because you're effectively playing the shooting game Uh, more so than any other list in the entire game. And that is, you've got 45 plus shots in a 750 list. You've got uh, Frodo the Ringbearer, 
uh, which and 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 you've got Faramir on horse, and you just have this ability to play the micro warband game, which we talked about in episode one, which is very strong, and that ability to just pour shots and strength two shots, and when you crunch the numbers on forty five shots, give or take. You can be killing six or seven defense six models a turn quite comfortably. And that ability to just have your army spread out across the entire table, i.e. the board control, and being able to move and shoot elements. You're always moving, you're always shooting. And it's just, that's a really hard army to sort of, like... That's a hard army to trap because you can't really do it. The standard shield wall armies just can't fight it because they well, they want to stay together and a Rangers of Athelian army doesn't work together. And no. they just evaporate so quickly to that list. Yeah, and, it's a skirmishing list and a super annoying list to play. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember which part of the social contract we talk about time management, if it was part one or part two. Mm-hmm. But, oh my God, it's one of those ones too where it's like... Can I have my turn? Like, all I'm doing here is watching you move your models and then spend an hour shooting at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like, you only get half the time. So if if you can't shoot all your guys in half the time, then I'm sorry, but it's time for me to have a turn. It's true. That's a list that's, that's difficult to play with time management. But I will end with this. From my, my readings, from looking at the different metas, for you know like in the european the european uh, meta especially with germany uh, from what i've read and what i've seen when your entire meta shifts because of this one list that tells you just how strong yeah and one of the most important things too is is terrain on tables and uh, uh, so many tournaments uh, they don't have enough terrain on tables because they're spreading it thin because they only have a certain amount so it really plays to certain armies i.e cavalry and shooting armies mm-hmm. that can that can really get away with murder on these sparsely populated uh, uh, tables mm-hmm. so it really helps an army like that and the worst part is even if you had like heavy populated tables if you're putting forests down the the ranges of Athelian army is entirely woodland creature so it loves forests right true yeah so yeah all right and the question we're going to ask for next week is a very straightforward one what is your favorite model in the middle earth strategy battle game range and, and don't say smog because that's almost going to be like cheating um Send your responses to us by email at North of the Shire Podcast One, the number one, at gmail.com. And again, the question is what is your favorite model in the range? All right, well, is that it for all that is gold does not glitter? That is it. Okay, let's move on to our next segment. Now on to our next segment, and it's one I love so much, and it's called What Have I Got in My Pocket, where we ask each other a random Middle-earth question that has no restrictions, and we have to answer it on the spot. Now, 
Normally, we have to answer these on the spot, but because this is take two, Don already knows the question I'm going to ask him, so he's well-versed with his response. I'll try to stick as close as I can remember to my response the first time. Okay, so the question I have for you, and hopefully I'm saying it the exact same way I did last time, is if you could live anywhere in Middle Earth, where would it be? And why? Okay, so for me, it's an obvious answer. Um, it's certainly not going to be like at the base of Mount Doom in the middle of Mordor. It's going to be in the Shire. I mean, the whole story to me is is about the Shire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the parts of the book that are in the Shire. Like for a long time, um, you know... I'm a little older, so like growing up in my <laughs> adult life, my favorite chapter of, of the book or chapters was The Journey in the Dark and The Bridge of Khazad-dum, just because I love that whole um, thing of going through the dungeon. And yeah, that was what really sort of inspired me to get into role playing and the whole Dungeons and Dragons thing, and which we've done for my whole life anyways and i think you have as well but like i find i find now that i'm a little bit older the 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 chapters of the book that i read the most and and listen to on audio the most are like right at the beginning of the of the story where they're leaving the shire three's company a shortcut to mushrooms and a conspiracy unmasked mm-hmm. like those three chapters to me like i love those chapters because to me that's really the start of the story where you know it starts very low key very slow burn um mm-hmm. where they're just basically going starting to go on a walking party and you know by the end of those three chapters they're they know they're fully being pursued by ring wraiths mm-hmm. and like the ring wraiths pop in and out of the story like Tolkien he like he he sort of like just like brings them into the story a little bit and takes them away like they never quite encounter them um hints and, to keep and, the suspense yeah, going yeah, yeah it, it's it's it, like I said it's like a slow burn where they're they're slowly realizing that like this is really happening and they're really being pursued by by ring race but I just love that whole thing and where they're just going on like a walking party and sleep under trees and walking through the countryside and and all of that kind of stuff because it I always think because it reminds me when I was younger I used to go canoe camping with my buddies and doing that kind of stuff with backpacking and all that um but anyways that's my answer the shire I think it's a perfect an- I think it's a perfect answer it's definitely my answer too if I were asked the same question yeah well who wouldn't where else is there to go it's yeah. like what are you gonna say Minas Tirith Ugh. yeah pretty much it's like if you mm. want to do that just move to a city here same effect <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay I believe okay you have so a my turn and I have completely forgotten what I asked you originally. So coming up with something off the top of my head. Here we go. And and here we go. It's going to be an exciting one. So when you're playing, and Mr. Competitive Player, what army or armies do you enjoy playing against the most? Now, are you referring from, are you referring to like, when I see that army, I think to myself, I'm going to have an easy game and, and then I'm going to smash it? Or these are armies I know I'm going to have an enjoyable, like tight g- gaming experience? 
That's up for you to define. I said, what armies do you enjoy playing the most? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Hmm. What armies do I what armies do I enjoy playing the most? Let's see. And we've talked about quite a few of them on on uh, yeah. the competitive side, so those should be fresh in your mind. I am always a fan of playing against dwarves. Not Iron Hills dwarves. Ugh, I hate playing against Iron Hill dwarves, mostly because that stupid uh, ballista. Uh, Posers. I, I, I love playing against the old school Khazad-Dum army. Proper dwarves. Proper dwarves. And that's mostly because of the people who play it. You know, and I've always had great games against the people who play it. I'm thinking about Chris. I'm thinking about Cameron. I'm thinking about yourself. And I always have riotous games when I play it. And it's never like a foregone conclusion for or against. It's just, it's a game that's difficult to play just due to the resilience of dwarves. And it it can go either way. But... You, it's never um, you sweep your opponent, and it's always an enjoyable time, in large part because of my opponents who I play against, as well as the type of army that I'm playing. So, yeah. Right on. I, I think probably part of that, too, is because, and forgive me, dumb players, my brothers, but it's not a competitive army. It's not a top-tier army. Let's put it that way. Um and the people that play it know it. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're 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 not playing against super competitive people when you're playing against people that are playing this army. Mm-hmm. That that's what I have found personal experience. So maybe that has something to do with it. Is all I'm trying I, to say. I, I wouldn't say it's like clubbing baby seals. I wouldn't say that. Um, but I would definitely say every time I play against it, it's an incredibly enjoyable experience. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad army. It is a good army. Yeah. It is a solid army. Mm-hmm. It is just not top tier. I would agree with that. No, I'd agree with that. It, it's, it's a hard army to get victory points from, though. Oh my That's God, for yes. sure. Get it is one of the things I love doing when playing that army, and that is you may win the game, but I'm not going to give you many points. Mm-hmm. Right? It, 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 you become almost sort of like a, a stopper list where it's like even if you win, you're not winning the tournament. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. All right, good answer. Good answer. Thank you. All right, well, I think that ends our segment on what have I got in my pockets. All right, well, that would be the end of the episode, I would think. I think so. Do you have any closing thoughts? Or maybe a passage that you wish to read? I, I got something. I got a passage I can read if you're if you're into it. I, I'm always keener for listening to a passage. It's, of, of it's Lord not of the Rings. Tolkien, but it's certainly oh. Lord of the Rings inspired. I, I'm I'm down for it. Let's hear it. Okay, this is it. The apples turn to brown and black. The tyrant's face is red. Oh, the war is common cry. Pick up your swords and fly. The sky is filled with good and bad that mortals never know. Oh well, the night is long, the beads of time pass slow. Tired eyes on a sunrise, waiting for the eastern glow. The pain of war cannot exceed the woe of aftermath. The drums will shake the castle wall, the ringwraiths ride in black. Ride on. <laughs>